you move from one culture to another, from one country to another, one, from one continent to another, you learn many different things. And it has been my privilege uh, with different organizations and in different ways to learn from other people and to run around the world and uh, just uh, see people. And today, it is good to be home. Good to be home. CBC has been very gracious, very helpful to us over the years, raising our family in this church. And uh, when our kids were small, very active in the young people's work, doing lots of good things. Uh, years ago, uh, CBC commended me to go as a missionary with InterVarsity. And uh, I don't know what I gave InterVarsity, but InterVarsity gave me a lot. Changed me. The task that many people thought, not only in InterVarsity but other places, that that was a very difficult task in this country to bring people together from different communities, ethnic communities, and see if they can work together. And uh, praise goes only to God that I told Tom Dunkerton at that time, who was the interim president of uh, InterVarsity, who was after me almost first every two months and every month and every week and almost every day calling me, why don't you find somebody to head this particular area of ministry within InterVarsity? Finally, he said, how about you? I said, Tom, you are crazy. So anyway, I offered him, okay, I'll give him six months. And this was purely a personal thing. And uh, I went for six months, sabbatical and all that, which turned out to be 15 years with InterVarsity. From one country, from one end of the country to the other and around the world. Let's see my assignment, see if I do it right. Turn it up is, Kaz, where are you? Yep, there it is. You remember a few weeks ago, two weeks ago or so, I mentioned that uh, we are all part of the cosmic dance or the cosmic story of God. You and I are part of it. We don't have a choice to be actors in that story or not. Just by being human, we are part of it. It all depends which role you are going to play. So, in that brief, or those brief comments, I talked about 
that whole story could be divided into five different acts. Here you have shalom in creation and then shalom vandalized, shalom made possible, and shalom restored. Number four. Number four is the one where we are. God has sent his messengers, his prophets, his priests, inviting humans like you and me to become partakers with God. He not only did that, through Exodus. He not only did that through John the Baptist, but he has used many a minister, many a priest in recent history where they have been calling. The God's family, God's people from all over the world how to work with other people. And it has been my privilege to work with Lausanne for the three major gatherings we have had in Lausanne, Switzerland, in Thailand, and South Africa. And the two leaders who really led this and put it all together were John Stott from England and Billy Graham from this country and many others. It was quite an experience, the first one in Switzerland. Here we were meeting and few of us from different countries, Samuel Escobar from Latin America and few others. We were probably considered to be the rebels at the conference because we were raising some questions that needed to be asked. And uh, John Stott was our spokesperson that we could use him. And he, being the leader, gave an opportunity for us to talk and write. And out of that gathering came what we know now, Lausanne Covenant. And I'll be talking about that a little later. The passage that was read, and thank you very much, that was done very beautifully. That was good. Was that a trick question by the expert to, who is my neighbor? Okay, we let the expert stand there. Let's ask it ourselves. Who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who is our neighbor?
I'm going to divide all of that into three categories. First of all, some of the things that I'm going to be saying that those of us who are involved in this series, we have read some books together, we have talked about it, and it has been my privilege just to sit with them and learn from them and to talk about some of the articles and other things that we are uh, we were involved in. And uh, one of the books that we have read is the one that you see there by Perry Yoder. And uh, he talks about shalom in three categories. So we will come to that in a minute. First of all, no, these are not what I'm talking about. No, it doesn't come from him. I'll mention that later. I call it the first or my first point when I talk about our neighbor, you know, that Jewish scholar, the expert, asked after listening to them, but who is my neighbor? Is my neighbor only one who next, lives next door? First of all, I think it's uh, our clan members, whatever nicer word you want to use, that is our family, family of faith, and those who look, think, and act like us, our gang, our group. Of course, they are better than anybody else. Of course, others are lesser humans than our gang is. Somebody in Europe tried to do that. So, we do need to seek shalom of our family, family of faith, and of course people who look like us. We should never, never ignore them. That's where you have certain possibilities that you might not have at other places. Just because you are part of that group. Somebody said that probably the hardest place to work on shalom is within your own family. And you know, we are at different times, at different places, different stages within our families. There are times we like to celebrate. This is great. Everything is going fine. There are other times when we are having some difficulty with one child or the other, the husband or wife or that kind of thing, then it is difficult. Because we think they know us inside out. Therefore, the moment you start telling something to them, they are, come on, you can't tell me that. You know what you said. So anyway, whatever it is, do your best. I'm not going to spend much of my time on this area. There is a whole lot is written. And my suggestion for your reading 
would be Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 17, will be a good passage for us to read. And, of course, within our church, in our own community, we talk a lot about it. And if I could dare to say this, we spend lots and lots of time on this particular area and very little time, comparatively speaking, on the other two areas that I'm going to talk about. So let me move on. I'm going to move very fast. Some of the things I'm going to be leaving out. Uh, a very dear person to me told me, keep it brief, keep it brief, keep it brief. Okay, John, I'll do it. I'm doing it. Shalom with our different others. When you and I were growing up, who were some of the people who were different? We were told so. Well, we don't play with them. We don't run around with them. They don't look like us. They don't act like us. Their house is not in the right area of the town. Their color is different. They don't speak good English. How do we learn these differences? I think, as I'm mentioning, that we learn that from our families. Therefore, for us as parents, that becomes very important, what kind of values we give to our children at that point. Grandparents, what do we do? It is those kinds of experiences through which we develop our perceptions and most of the time misperceptions. People of certain color, they are just like that. As I mentioned, for me to work with InterVarsity at one point, I traveled all over this country meeting with leaders of different ethnic communities, Christians, Christian leaders in the Latin community, in the African-American black community, in the white community, Asian community, and especially when I sat down with Native Americans. Quite an experience. These were people of God. But when you talked about certain experiences, they could not understand that. Same question, and they were going like this here and there, not connecting with each other. At the end, I felt like I needed to go for a therapy session. You know, 
I mean, it was draining, draining. And they were not hostile with each other most of the time. But uh, they just could not understand what others were saying, others' experiences. Let's keep in mind that with all of our high values as a nation, we have a very tragic and sad history of broken treaties, of slavery. It's not only history. It keeps on. For me, as a university student, living close to the Smoky Mountains, often on go to hear the musical, the play, onto these hills at Smoky Mountains. And it was done by Native Americans their history. And you saw cars from all over this country, people coming to see that. And when you finished that, it was outdoors, open air, in the midst of those beautiful mountains. And when they sang and the music came, you could hear it all over the mountains. But once you finished, if you had any sensitivity, you could not help but cry. Then, moving with African-American staff in InterVarsity, Latinos, Asians, whites, how do you pull all of that together and help them work together. Again, I say credit goes only to God. But now and for the last few years, InterVarsity is known as the organization in this country where they have wrestled with this more and probably have the most diverse staff of any mission and Christian organization. Many come to just ask them, how do you do it? What happened? People have asked me. I said, I don't know. We just did. Thanks be to the board. They were willing to stick with it. I remember when we changed Urbana. We felt that we need to change the platform, people speaking, topics, music, everything else. The first year we did that, I think it was either 87 or 90, and uh, most, not most, but many of our major donors wrote us pretty strong letters and withdrew their support. 
This is not the intervarsity we have known. We had made a commitment that this issue is theological, it's biblical. We don't want to do it because it's a fad or a fashion. So we got very busy in studying the scriptures. And that's where I brought Perry Yoder to work with us. Not that he was better scholar than anybody else. You know, our own Steve Hainer, who was the president at that time, was probably the best Old Testament scholar in the country. But he, along with others from our staff, sat as a student to set an example that he, whoever he is, you know, with all the degrees and all the background and so forth, he's not above from learning. So he sat down and acted very much like a student with Perry. And as a result, we came up with plenty of Bible studies and other kinds of materials, and all of that was to help our staff see this. And thank God it worked. But if you look at Ephesians 2, 14 through 18, for he himself is our peace, who has made two one and has destroyed the barriers. The problem is that we have talked too much about walls and barriers. And that's where we have developed too many different others. Now, it is good to talk about other people. Sometimes it gets a little uncomfortable when we begin to talk about ourselves. Okay, how do I seek the shalom, the wholeness, the well-being, the flourishing of my different others? So I skipped two pages, but go to the third one. So let me just talk. This was supposed to come a little bit earlier. This is uh, the history of InterVarsity, or at least when I came, and the very first journal of that issue when I was there became talk of the country because here it was, people with hoods on and the whole issue of what was going on. And here's I'm supposed to be putting it all together. And some of my staff said, should we let you go alone some places? Why not? So if someday you want to read something in it, I'll give you. Then another stage came in a few years ago. Dick referred to it when I was asked to speak at the United Nations. 
I wanted to talk about shalom, but here is a quote's secular context. How do you do it? My good Christian friends were told me that, uh, of course, they are praying for me, and uh, but please do not use the word shalom because many Muslim diplomats will walk out on you because it will be taken as a political statement. I said, okay, you please keep on praying for me. So I met with several of the diplomats, Muslim diplomats whom I knew, and I told them that I'm going to be speaking, as you know, it has been announced, and uh, I'm going to be using the word shalom, not in the political sense, but in the theological sense. And I explained what it means to me. To a person told me, why should we walk out? You're talking about your faith. We need to honor that. To the best of our knowledge, when I spoke, of course, listening to some people, I titled it, my talk, as In Search of Peace. But through and through, I talked about shalom, giving Bible references and so forth. In that process, it was my privilege to get involved with a good number of the rabbis in the area to learn from that community. What is their concept of shalom? How do they deal with it? In that connection, I started taking some courses at uh, uh, the Jewish seminary, the Hebrew seminary in New York City. People were very gracious to me and, uh, you know, did some plays for me just to make certain points. This is how, this is what we mean by it. Now, then we come to this particular area. Shalom with our enemies. Sometimes these two terms look sort of, uh, they cannot be put together. Shalom and enemies, how can you have shalom, peace, well-being, flourishing, thinking of their good when you're working with the enemies? Matthew 5, 43 through 48 Luke 23:34 You have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you <clears throat> How do you love your enemy how do you pray for them? Weren't you and I enemies to God? And aren't we even now sometimes? You know that? God loved us. He gave his best for his enemies, people who were against him. How much can we do 
should we do? I learned a lot from people who live out good biblical examples and sometimes these people are not Christians. What can we learn from them? Of course we can. God can use people who are not even his people. They belong to him. God can use donkeys to speak his truth. And he can use other people too. So let's not close our minds. If truth comes, let's accept that as a truth, no matter what the source is. For me, people like Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, and of course, Jesus Christ is the example, are the examples when it comes to loving your enemies. If your enemy is hungry, Romans 12:20, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Maybe in our discussion group we are going to be talking about what does it mean to put coals on the head of your enemy. Think of the proverbs used. We have another proverb that's called do good and throw it in the river. Meaning when you do something good to somebody, Don't talk about it. Throw it away. Forget about it. Let others see it. What does putting coals? We'll talk about that. I've been debating about something, and I'm going to go ahead and do it. Uh, I share what I'm going to share with you with lots of sensitivity. And I have a very, we as a family, have a very dark day in our history. My father was killed by Muslims. Man of faith, not highly educated, only fifth grade education. People who didn't like him blamed him for overthrowing the government. You know, when I heard that, I thought, oh, man, I didn't know my father was, you know, that big. You know, anyway, so they got him, mistreated him badly in jail and all sorts of other things. And he died. Four of us brothers from this country went back for the funeral. And uh, 
I being the oldest in the family, I decided that I'm going to speak at the funeral. My brothers could not say no to me, but they didn't like it, that I should speak. But that's the advantage of being the oldest in that culture. I wanted to go hear where certain things happened. I wanted to go to the room where he was kept in jail and was beaten. I wanted to talk to the judge. I wanted to go to the court. But my cousins and some other relatives, they wouldn't leave me alone. They wouldn't let me go anywhere. I said, what's the matter? I grew up at this place. You know, why can't I go? No, 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 no. You know, anyway, uh, we did that. Later on, I learned that those who had done that to my father, their thought was, now these four brothers come back for his funeral, and uh, we are going to kill the older brother. That was their plan around about the funeral time. Here I am. Here I am. I was a madman. I was angry as I could be. To the point that I completely lost my voice after the funeral. I just had to whisper. I could not talk. As a psychologist, I knew what was happening to me, but that's what was going on. And uh, thank God he brings you out of those things. And instead of a year or two later, hating them and wishing and wanting to kill as many Muslims as I could. Learn to pray for them. Learn to defend their right to worship the way they want to worship. <laughs> a few years later, we were in front of the White House marching because of persecution of Christians in certain parts of the world. And I was one of the leaders, you know, going on marching, and I was speaking, others were speaking, and so forth, talking about that something should be done by this country about uh, the people who are persecuting and killing Christians. And uh, so we did our thing, and uh, that evening I got a call from some Muslim men talked to me very nicely, respectfully, said that we we heard you. And uh, if you really mean business by this, will you join us because we are going to have that kind of a march because Muslims are being persecuted in this, this, this place. I knew that. You know, when you are asked that question and what your own background and history, it grabs you. You know, could you say right away, yes? So I asked them, in response to their question, please give me till tomorrow. 
I will, I, I said this, I said, I will pray about it, I'll think about it, then I'll respond. Yes, I did pray and decided to march with them. And for them, march didn't, my being in the march didn't mean just walk with us, be on the front, be one of the leaders. I said, by all means, I'll do it. So we did it. My point in all of that is, now I will defend the right of Muslims to worship. I disagree with their faith system and all that. That's not the issue. And I will still like to share the gospel with any Muslim. But their right to worship the way they want to worship has to be defended. This is what we as Christians, I feel, have to do. This is how we put the heat of burning coals. Not with that intention that it will hurt, but you do because that is the right thing to do. How do you do this? In my way of thinking and some of the reading that I have done, first of all, it has to be uh, love in action. We have to do it three ways. Love in action, grace in action, and lastly, justice in action. It is Mahatma Gandhi who has said about Jesus Christ, that not many people will give their life for anybody, even for their friends and so forth. And Jesus Christ giving his life for others, he admired it. He said, it's, it's uh, great. And he, he used the word, he gave his life as a ransom for other people. To me, that is the truth. Yes. Not only that, grace in action, and probably what I'm going to do is just refer to that and let you deal with it. Sometime read John 4, 7 through 15. How Jesus Christ dealt with the Samaritan woman. When you read that, learn the difference between critiquing something and criticizing something. How do you critique something and how do you criticize it? An extreme example where Jesus Christ critiqued Her life story did not criticize her. Read it very carefully. And as a result, she becomes the spokesperson, runs and tells other people, here's a man, maybe he's the Messiah. He has told me all about my life. Here was a Samaritan woman 
talking to Jesus. That was, he was showing that's his neighbor. Then, how do we do that? This statement, again, I'm not going to read. You should read it sometime. This is by Charles Malek. He's the, he was the ambassador of Lebanon to uh, the United Nations and the first signer of the human rights statement for the United Nations. He says that the needs of the world are much deeper than the political freedom and security much deeper than the social justice and economic development, much deeper than democracy and progress. The deeper needs of the world belong to the sphere of the mind, the heart, and the spirit, a sphere to be penetrated with the light and grace of Jesus Christ. Here's an ambassador. Let me go to, quickly, the last part of it. It is a statement that I started with and referred to, developed at Lausanne by all of us who were involved in it, but especially by John Stott and Billy Graham and others, leaders there. What they are talking about there is Sometimes we have taken evangelism as the only mission of the church or the Christians, never talking about social action. And in this statement, they talk about how these two areas have to be put together. This is the complete message, and this is what John Stott calls it, truncated gospel if we use only one. If we use only evangelism and never think about the shalom, the wholeness of the different other or enemy or other people in general, through justice, then it is not complete gospel. And this is where it all came to. The whole gospel from the whole church for the whole world. Someday maybe I'll sit down and talk for more about it, but let me say this and leave it as incomplete as I can. My prayer for us as a church, as a community, as individual believers, is that the labor of our minds, hearts, and hands be influenced by God. May we rejoice in doing the right things rather than the convenient, the just and fair rather than the popular. May our labors bring hope where there is despair, light where there is darkness, comfort 
where there is pain, freedom where there is oppression, love where there is hate, knowledge where there is ignorance, healing where there is hurt, and above all, shalom, deeply rooted in justice where there is brokenness. And there is enough of that brokenness around us in our world. May you and I, as CBCers, be agents of shalom in this broken world. Let me pray. Dear God, Teach us your ways. Help us to be obedient to you and be doers of your word. This we pray in the blessed name of Christ. Amen.